Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Well, hey, good morning, Rescue Church. I want to say welcome to each and every one of you in all of our different locations, or even those of you that are joining us online. It's great having you this weekend as we jump into part four of this backstage series that we've been doing for a while now. And before I get into this week's content, let me just once again remind our church of the metaphor. What do we mean when we talk about backstage? So, so follow me on this. Essentially what we're saying is that we all have kind of a front stage area of our life. We all have this part of our life that is on display for everyone to see. It's our public life. It's the stuff that's done in the spotlight. It's the stuff that gets noticed. And, and consequently, it's where we give so much of our time and energy and focus to But the truth is, we all also have a private life. If you will, we have a backstage. And there's stuff back here that we can see that others can't see. It's often a little darker back here. It's often a little more messy back here. And and the point that we're making in this series is that these two components of our lives are not disconnected from one another. The backstage very much affects the front stage. If we ignore stuff that's going on back here, ultimately it will cause what's happening on the front stage to collapse. We've said it's possible to kind of put on a performance for a while, to pretend for a while, and we can kind of keep things happening on the front stage while we ignore stuff in the backstage. But if we don't come back here on a regular basis and deal with the real health of our soul It's only a matter of time before all of this on the front stage comes crashing down. So today, we're going to talk about another extremely important issue in our life that really, even though it can manifest itself in many different ways on the front stage, it's really a backstage issue because it starts back here. And I'm calling this message, Silent But Deadly. And if you are immature like me, you're already snickering, thinking we're talking about something so junior high, and you missed it already, because that's not what we're talking about. As a matter of fact, this is a great time to do a little public safety announcement. For those of us who live in the South Dakota region of the world where it's cold and where it snows, like we are reminded of this every single year. If you are blessed to live somewhere where you don't need a furnace, maybe you don't hear as many warnings about this. But there is a gas that we are warned about almost every winter. It's called carbon monoxide. And what do we know about this gas? We know that it is a colorless, odorless, tasteless gas. You cannot see it. It's silent. It's invisible. And yet in enough quantity, it's deadly. And it's the product, we know that it's the byproduct of combustion. And so wherever there's combustion happening, wherever there's fire consuming stuff, even in your furnace, it it can put off carbon monoxide. And if in a little bit is, is doable, but if we get into large amounts of carbon monoxide, first we get sick and ultimately we can die. It can kill us. As a matter of fact, as I was thinking about this, I was just reminded last year, literally, uh, the fire department that I work on, Sioux Falls Fire Rescue, they saved an entire family literally from death because this family was starting to experience some of the symptoms, the early symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning. It often comes off very much like a flu-like type symptom where we feel nauseous, we have a headache, we're dizzy, we might be a little confused. 
And eventually, if you don't catch that, you fall asleep and you never wake up. And thankfully, someone in this family called for an, for a, for an ambulance because they weren't feeling well. And when the fire department got there, they started listening to these symptoms and noticing multiple people not feeling well. They went out and got this little carbon monoxide detector and brought it in. And lo and behold, there were dangerous, lethal amounts of carbon monoxide filling this home. And had they not been there with their detector, this whole family would have died. Today, I want to talk about something that affects our lives very much the same way. It's the sin of pride. And it's ugly, and it's so often hard to detect. It's, it just is among our life, it's in our life, and we don't see it, we don't notice it. Uh, sometimes other people notice it before us. Sometimes they see the symptoms coming out in our life, but, but we don't catch it as easily. And so today, I want to do more of a teaching. I might get a little preachy from time to time, but I want to do more of a teaching today about why pride is so dangerous, the sin of pride. Why is it so dangerous? What does it look like? And what are some things that, some tools that we can put in place in our life to kind of be that detector that will go off and warn us, hey, there's pride that needs to be dealt with. So if you've got your handouts, get them out and get ready to write. I've got some some things I want to share with you from the Word of God when it comes to this issue of pride. Here's where I want to start, and I think I gave you a few definitions on your handouts this weekend. I just want to answer the question, what is pride? Like, what is it? And you'll notice that the first one I've given you is just kind of a dictionary definition that says this, pride is a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. And we get that, right? Like we often think of pride as just that boastful, arrogant, you know, disposition. But, but it's, more of, it's more spiritual than just that. I've got a few more uh, definitions on there. Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon Him. Right? We take pride in being self-made individuals and self-reliant and individual, like, I, I don't need anybody. And, and essentially, we take that to the extreme and say, I don't need God. I don't need, I can live my life apart from God. Here, here's another one. Pride is the inner voice that whispers, my way is best. It is resisting God's leadership and believing that I am able to live without his help. It's essentially saying, I don't need God. Like when we think that way, when we act in such a way that demonstrates that attitude, that's really pride coming out in our life. One more quick definition. Pride is a sin that contends for supremacy with God and seeks to deprive him of the glory that he deserves for the purpose of self-glorification. See, pride is where I seek glory for myself that ultimately belongs to God. Like, he's the one worthy of glory, and I try to usurp that. I try to step into that place and say, give me the glory that ultimately belongs to God. And it's ugly, and I'm about to tell you why pride is so dangerous in my life and in your life. I've got several reasons from God's word. Number one, if you want to write this down, why is pride so dangerous? Because God hates pride. And I understand that the word hate is a big word, right? Like we're not supposed to say hate very often, but the Bible uses that very word. The authors of scripture use that very word because God has declared he hates pride. Look at this, Proverbs 8 verse 13. God's word simply says this, I hate pride and arrogance. 
God hates pride. I've also given you on your handouts Proverbs 6, 16, and 17, and you can go look at a list of seven things that God has declared he hates. And number one on the list is pride. God hates pride. Here's another reason that pride is so dangerous in my life and in your life is because not only does God hate pride, his word says that he opposes pride. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now keep that second part of that verse in mind that God shows favor to the humble. We're going to circle back around to that before we're done today. But let's for now focus on the first half of that verse. God opposes the proud. Imagine living a life that God is actually standing in the way opposing because of your pride and my pride. This is why pride is dangerous, because God will not tolerate it. He hates it. He opposes it. And then here's another warning from Scripture. Pride ends in destruction. Always. It might appear that proudful people, you know, prideful, proudful, that's not a word, prideful people that are going through life arrogant and full of themselves and thinking they're better than they really are, it may appear for a season that things are going great in their life, but according to God's word, pride always ends in destruction. Listen to what Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. That word haughty, and not a lot of people know what that means. That's kind of a Bible word for pride. I wanted to call this message the naughty, haughty, but uh, I decided not to. It was way too immature, so I went with silent but deadly instead. Okay, so haughtiness, pridefulness, it always ends in destruction. Proverbs 18, 12 says, Before a downfall, the heart is haughty. There's that word again. But humility comes before honor. Again, hold that thought about humility in your mind. We're coming back around to that in a little bit. You know, I, I want to just pause here briefly to make this point as well, that I believe it is ultimately our pride that keeps us from reaching out to the Lord in the first place. You know, we're talking about pride ends in destruction. I believe it is the pride of man that ultimately leads people away from the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ and through him alone. Why? Because we are too proud to acknowledge our need for a Savior and to submit before his authority and call upon his name for salvation. Pride not only leads to destruction here and now in this life, according to God's word, our pride leads us to eternal separation from God's salvation for eternity spent in hell. And I believe it is the pride of our hearts that leads so many people away from salvation to eternity separated from God in hell. Well, Okay, so we know why pride is dangerous. God hates it. He opposes it. It ends in destruction. There's nothing good about pride. Scripture says nothing good is, is there. But, but what does it look like? Ultimately, as I said earlier, pride comes out in our life in so many different front stage ways. But ultimately, it's coming from the same place backstage. It's this sin that we're not dealing with. And so what does it look like on the front stage? I've got a list that I want to share with you, and uh, it's probably not a complete list. I would challenge you to think of some other things you could add to the list. But how do we know when, we're, when we have pride in our life? How do we sniff this out when, when pride starts to show itself? Here's, here's one. These aren't necessarily in any specific order, but I want to start with this word ambition. And I want to be very careful here 
to say that ambition in and of itself is not a bad thing. I, I, thought, I thought about this word picture, like ambition is, is like dynamite. It's this very powerful element that if we're holding on to it, we'd better be careful. Because dynamite has power, I mean, we all would agree, dynamite has explosive power, right? Pun intended. Literally, it has the ability to explode. Now, that can be used in good ways. Dynamite can move some stuff that needs to be moved. It can tunnel through mountains, but dynamite can also be extremely destructive. And that's, that's a good thought when we think about ambition. That's a good word picture. Ambition can be used, and if channeled in the right way, if we're healthy about it, it, it can be a God-given desire to achieve and accomplish and set goals and climb the ladder, so to speak, in life. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And yet the truth is, so often in our ambition, we, we can start being fueled by our own pride and ego where we desire to get ahead because of, of how we want things to be done. And here's, here's another thing that's so insidious about ambition. Sometimes we can make it look on the front stage like we're doing the right thing. Let me say it this way. Sometimes we can do the right thing, watch this, for the wrong reason. We do the right thing on the front stage, but it isn't because we're wanting to please God or be used by Him. It's because behind the stage, backstage, there's pride bubbling up in our life, and it comes out in the form of ambition. So we need to check ourselves when we have this ambitious spirit. It's not necessarily bad, but it certainly can become a prideful thing very quickly. Here's another one, flat-out arrogance, right? We know what this looks like in people's lives. We know what it looks like to be arrogant, stuck up, thinking way better of yourself than you really are, high and mighty, right? And none of, that's not an attractive quality in anybody's life. That's very easy to identify that and go, that's pride, just that arrogant, boastful person. And it goes hand in hand with this next one. How about this one? A judgmental spirit. Or I think I put in parentheses behind that, self-righteousness. By the way, if you're a Christian, or if you claim to be a Christian, or if you claim to be a, quote, religious person, we need to pause on this one for just a moment. Because sometimes, if we've been walking with the Lord for a while, and we've been obeying Him, and following his commandments, sometimes it's easy for us to start looking down our nose at other people and judging them with this spirit of self-righteousness that I'm better than you because I follow the rules better than you do because I'm more moral than you are. Like I'm a better person. And, and we have this judgmental spirit, this self-righteousness that comes out. By the way, I wanted to just point this observation out. Isn't it interesting that when we judge other people like that, we never compare ourselves to the holy, perfect standard of Jesus, do we? We always compare ourselves to someone who's doing worse than we are, right? So, so we got to be on guard with that. That's pride when we have this judgmental spirit, the self-righteousness coming out in our life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here's another one, an argumentative spirit. Man, I felt convicted just preparing this message. Like, sometimes that's me. Sometimes the, the desire to be right is stronger than the desire just to have peace in a relationship. And, and, and you might go, yeah, that's me too, John. Well, thank you for your honesty. But listen to what God's Word says about having an argumentative spirit. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. 
right? Like when we're, when we're prideful, we're constantly arguing because we, we have to be right no matter what. But, but when we have humility, we actually have the ability to listen to others, to take advice and maybe admit from time to time, I'm not always right. I don't always have all the answers. Here's another form of pride I want to share that, again, might, this might be a little counterintuitive, right? Like, like, we don't think of this as pride, but I want to show you how it is. So I've labeled this self-pity or this self-loathing or like this victim mentality. We all know people in our life like this. Don't, don't nudge them right now. Don't look at them. They're just going to feel more sorry for themselves if you do, right? This is the exact opposite of that arrogant person who's got their chest puffed out and their head held high, strutting around like a peacock. We all recognize that level of pride. This level of pride is more of the shoulder slump, knuckles dragging through life, and it's poor, pitiful me. I'm so bad. I'm so miserable. My life is, I'm such a victim of all these other things. And, and here's the deal. Well, on the surface, that might not actually look like pride. I want to just ask the question, when we live our lives with that mentality, who is the center of our attention? Where is all the focus? It's on ourselves. So whether we're living high and mighty or whether we're just down on ourselves constantly, we're all preoccupied with ourself, and it is a form of pride. And sometimes I think we have this raging in our culture right now, these two extremes of the proud, boastful, arrogant, and the lowly, down-and-out people that still simply focus on themselves, and it's all pride. How about this one? A spirit of entitlement. Is this not where we're at in our culture today, right? Like, like everybody owes me something. You owe me something. The government owes me something. My parents owe me something. My school owes me something. Everybody owes me. I'm entitled. I'm entitled to be happy. I'm entitled to be right. I'm entitled to happiness and comfort and, and all of the good things in life. Where does that stem from? When we find ourselves living that way on the front stage, it's coming from a place of pride in the backstage where we're way more caught up with ourselves than we should be. I've got one more that I want to share with you, and and it's, I don't know how to say it other than this, seeking status and worth by comparing and competing with others. And here's what this looks like. This is when I'm so caught up in competing with, you know, we have a phrase for it in the United States. It's called keeping up with the Joneses. I don't know who the Joneses are or why we want to keep up with them so much, but it's where we constantly are looking around at others and comparing our lives to them and go, well, they just got a bump in their salary. I need a little bit bigger bump in my salary. They got a nicer car. I need a nicer car. And we look on social media and go, oh, they seem to be so happy and have everything together. I'm not feeling as happy today. And so my status isn't as, as great as theirs. Or how about this, from my years, this is reaching back to to my years as a coach in youth sports. I'm telling you, I loved it. I I loved parts of it. But we had kids playing baseball every summer who did not want to play baseball at all. They hated baseball. But why were they there? Because mom or dad wanted to be in the baseball crowd, and they wanted to be in with that certain part of the community. So guess what, kid? You're playing baseball because I need to keep up with these people. I need to run in this social network of people, and so unfortunately you're going to have to swing a bat for me to do that. That's pride. When we really start peeling back the layers on that, yeah, it looks on the front stage like little Johnny's got to play baseball this summer, but where that's really coming from is a place of pride, where my worth, 
My sense of value and belonging comes from comparing and competing with other people around me. It's pride. Now, you could probably add some other things to this list, but I want to close out today by asking this question. How do I combat all of that? Like, that's ugly stuff when when we go through this list and it's like, man, if my life is coming across that way, if I'm this arrogant, argumentative, judgmental, ambitious person that's just using other people to get ahead, like, if that's what all of this is happening on the front stage because I've got all this pride in the backstage, how do I deal with that? How do I combat that? And I want to just make a little point here, too. When I was preparing this message, I was thinking about using the word, what cures pride? What, how do we cure pride? But I, I scratched that. You want to know why? Because I don't think we cure pride. I think as long as God gives us life and health and breath, there is constantly going to be a pull of pride in my life in the backstage. You might not be able to see it, but it's here. And I have to combat it. It's a fight that I have to wage daily to to combat pride. I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I cure it. And by the way, if you do ever get to a point in your life where you feel that you've conquered pride completely, I think God's word has some things to say about that. Like you should be really careful. You're about to fall yourself because pride comes before destruction. And if you think you've totally conquered it, you probably are caught up in pride far more than you realize. So how do we not cure it How do we combat it? What are some tools that we can put to place in our life that that will combat pride? I've got three things that I want to share with you today, and some of them are based on what we've covered so far in this series already. First of all, practice the discipline of solitude. We talked about this last week in our backstage series. That we live in this culture that's such running at such a chaotic pace. We've got this need for speed built into our lives. And solitude is when we unplug from this crazy rat race and we put ourselves in these solitude, these places of solitude where it's just us and God. And where we can hear his voice, where he can speak into our life. And see, when I'm practicing the discipline of solitude, I'm, I'm getting out of this crazy current of this fast-paced culture, and I'm slowing down enough to let God speak and whisper. And here's the thing. I believe the Holy Spirit of God is faithful, and he will expose those areas of pride in my life if I slow down long enough and get in a place of solitude for enough time where God can say, hey, John, we need to talk about this ambition in your life. We need to talk about this arrogance. We need to talk about this argumentative spirit that you have and that seems to be on display in so many of your relationships. John, you know that thought you had as you looked down your nose at this person in your church, in your community, in your family, where you work? You know that thought you had yesterday? That was kind of ugly. That wasn't from me. See, solitude will put us in a place where we can do that. The the psalmist said this in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. He writes, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, when we get in a place of solitude, we can ask God to search our hearts. And he's faithful to show us our hearts and to expose it. You see how solitude, having that discipline of solitude in my life actually helps combat pride. 
Because if on a regular basis I'm getting out of this crazy rat race and coming to this place of stillness before the Lord, now he has, a, he has room to speak into my life. Number two, here's another tool in the toolbox to combat pride in our lives, and that's this. Actively seek Christian community. This is the exact opposite of isolation that we talked about two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we said that so many people, Christians included, live their lives in such a way where almost nobody has access to this backstage part of their life. We all have access to the front stage, but they've not given anybody a backstage pass to come into their life and confront them and to really know and see what's going on and to say, hey, can we talk about this? So here's my question to you as as a Christian. Who in your life has been given that access to come into your backstage and lovingly but faithfully rebuke you and say, hey man, there's pride back here. And, And you've got this pride in your backstage that's flowing out into your life and it looks like this ambition that's out of control or this arrogance or this judgmentalness or this argumentative spirit. Or can you get off the victim mentality and the poor pitiful me like it's all self-focus? Who in your life has that ability because you've invited them in, because you have sought out that Christian community? And I just have to be so clear here. Church, hear me on this. That is your responsibility as a follower of Jesus to have those kind of relationships in your life. I can't give that to you. I can't provide that for everybody. I can create environments. The church can help bring people together. But beyond that, you have to take responsibility and go, you know what? I need some healthy, godly, Christian relationships in my life where there's people who will love me enough and know me well enough to have the hard conversations and to call out pride when they see it in my life. And I can just tell you from experience, by the way, that's a very humbling thing. It's not a pleasant thing when God's people come to you with the heart of love and faithfulness and say, John, can we have a conversation? I think you're being prideful in this area of your life. Like that's my my natural response because I've had those conversations with people in the past and I can just tell you my default setting is not to go, "Well, well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. The default setting is to get defensive and be mad and oh yeah, but then you realize you probably have a point and God probably brought you into my life to bring this wisdom and if I'm a humble person, if I embrace humility, I'll listen. I'll lean into what you're saying. I will accept it and I will thank God for putting some friends in my life who love me enough to step into my backstage and say, hey, John, that's pride and we need to talk about it. Who do you have in your life that can do that for you, that will do that for you? The third thing I just mentioned a minute ago, I'll say it again, it's embrace humility. You want to combat pride in your life? Embrace humility. Now, now what is humility? Humility is not what I talked about earlier, just being down on yourself and walking around like this poor pitiful me. That's not the same as being humble. Actually, as we said, that's pride. Humility is not beating up on myself. It's not being down on myself. Let me give you, I think I put them on your handouts, but here's two definitions of humility. I love this first one. Humility is honestly assessing myself in light of God's holiness and my sinfulness. You see what that means? What we're saying is, I have an accurate view of myself when I have an accurate view of who God is. 
And when I see God in his splendor and his holiness and his perfection and his righteousness, and then I see myself through that lens, I realize I'm none of those things. And outside of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me, there's nothing really good in my heart at all. That's humility. That's understanding who God is and who I am in light of that. Here's another definition or explanation of humility. Humility, I love this statement, is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God in which God is all and self is nothing. I love that phrase, the displacement of self from the throne. How do I displace John from the throne? It's by putting God where he belongs, on the throne of my life. And more than just the throne of my life, God sits on the throne of the entire universe because he is the Lord of all creation. He is above all things. And when I magnify and worship him in his rightful place, it helps me put myself in my rightful place. And it's not on the throne. I am not worthy of the glory that God deserves. He is worthy of all glory, of all honor, of all praise. And when I embrace humility, I'm putting God in his rightful place, which then in turn puts me in my rightful place. And listen, I have value. You have value as children of God. We are extremely valuable because he says we are. But not because the world revolves around us, not because we're the center of the universe. We're valuable because we worship the center of the universe, and we belong to him. So humility is not saying I'm a horrible, terrible person. Humility is understanding who I am and why I have value as I enthrone the Lord Jesus Christ as the top shelf, first priority above all other things in my life. So here's some questions that I have for you. By the way, I have one more scripture I wanted to share. John chapter 3, verse 30. This is the words of John the Baptist. And would to God that this would be our prayer this weekend as the rescue church. John the Baptist said this of Jesus as he's speaking over the life of Jesus. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. That's humility. Humility is when we say, Jesus, it's all about you and it's not at all about me. That's, that's walking in humility. That's embracing humility. Lord, it's all about you today. It's not about me. Here's my questions that I want to ask. And, and in all of our locations, I would just invite us to bow our heads, close our eyes, because I just, this is a moment between you and the Lord right now, between you and the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to consider a few things. As, as I've just gone through this simple teaching on the dangers of pride, what pride looks like, and how we combat it, my question for you is this. Where is there pride in your life that needs to be addressed? Do you have the courage in this moment right now to say, Holy Spirit, search my heart and show me where is there pride in my heart, in my life, that's running unchecked right now? Holy Spirit, would you please be that ever-faithful pride detector that sounds the alarm and sniffs that out and says, it's right here, and we need to deal with it. We need to get this out of my life. As we've been sitting here this morning, what is God saying to you? Where is there pride in your life that needs to be addressed? Here's, here's another question I would challenge you to consider. In what ways have I been seeking glory for myself instead of making much of Jesus? Would the Holy Spirit kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, look, here's an area in your life you're making it all about you instead of making it about me. What if we reverse that this week? 
What if we lived in such a way that our lives existed to make much of Him and little of ourselves? Is there something that God is pointing out in your life? Is there something that He's pointing to? And then, last question before I close in prayer. What step of repentance and or obedience is Jesus calling me to take today? It's very possible right now in this moment, Jesus is convicting there's some repentance that needs to happen in this church body. I believe pride is such a problem in our lives that that if we don't actively check it, it's very possible there is pride right now that needs to be confessed and repented to the Lord today in this church Is there a step of repentance that Jesus is calling out of you today? Or how about this? Is there a step of obedience? Whereas you're sitting here, you're like, I know God's telling me to take this step of obedience in my life. Whatever that is, I want to challenge you as your pastor who loves you. Let's respond with worshipful obedience and humble reverence to the Lord as we respond to this message today. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. God, I thank you for this time that you've given to us. Thank you so much for your word and and all it says to us about this subject of pride, that it's this insidious, silent killer that hides in the shadows of our life. We don't easily see it or detect it, but it plays itself out in so many ways that destroys our relationships. It destroys our walk with you. It destroys our testimony for you. And God, you've clearly said you hate it, you oppose it, and it destroys us. Holy Spirit, in this moment, I pray that you would just search the hearts of your people in this place. That you would expose and point out the pride that needs to be dealt with and addressed. And I pray that we would respond by putting ourselves in that place of solitude, Lord, where you can speak I pray that we would respond not only by the solitude, but by having the relationships in our life where people, in addition to the Holy Spirit, your body, the the church, can speak into our lives as well. And that, God, we would be a humble people that seek to make much of you and little of ourselves. I pray you just use this message however you see fit in the life of this church. God, work in our hearts As we dismiss from here, as we go about our lives this week, I pray that you would help us to embrace humility and deal with the pride that you expose in our life. You get all the honor, the praise, the glory, Jesus, for how you use this message in our hearts this weekend and beyond. It's in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Cast Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv.